All right, good morning, good morning. Uh, Acts chapter 20, let's turn there together. Man, so good worshiping together this morning. It's getting radical. It's getting, that was really fun. Um, we uh, are just, you know, working verse by verse through the book of Acts. It's been like two years, I think. Maybe I'm making that up, maybe a year. I don't know. It's been a long time. Um, but we're getting towards the end. The pace picks up towards the end. Um, so we're going to be in verses 1 through 16 this morning. Um, if you remember, we just finished like a little mini-series about the birth of Ephesus. Last week, Dom skipped ahead uh, to verses 13 to 36 just to keep all the Ephesus stuff together. So we're just backing up a few verses. Um, chapter 20, verse 1 through 16. The title of this sermon is A Relational Church. Um, I'll read that out of the NIV, then we'll pray and get into it together. Acts 20. If you uh, remember, right before this was that riot that the city had. So that's, that's kind of the context. Chapter 20, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples And after encouraging them, he said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through the area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. (laughs) Because of some Jews that had plotted against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, the son of Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonia, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy also... Tychius and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread and five days later joined the others at Troas where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he made us at Asos, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The next day, after we crossed over to Samos, on the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. That is the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Man, thank you that it is, it is alive, it is powerful, that it's from you, Lord. Um, thank you that when we, when we look to your word, we, like even me, I don't need to be clever. Um, we just need to be uh, faithful and submitted to what you have said, what you have spoken. And um, you, you have a word, your word for us this morning as a church. 
So would you give us ears to hear, Lord? I just sense uh, there's going to be um, some opposition from the enemy. He doesn't want us to hear your word. He specifically doesn't want us to hear about the value of relationships and loving one another well. So uh, we resist him in Jesus' name, um, and we ask for your help, Lord, where our own flesh would resist your word. Uh, would your spirit just graciously speak to us? Get, get past any areas of hardness or bitterness. Um, would you graciously speak to us, your people, this morning? And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, okay, there's uh, a story. You may have heard of it. In 1990, there was a young man named Christopher McCandis, and he just graduated college. Uh, he sold all his possessions, gave away his savings, threw away his credit cards, and every form of ID, and didn't tell his family or his friends. He was like, I'm out. I'm going to the wild. I'm going to the wilderness. I'm just going to travel across America. Uh, for the next two years, he traveled all throughout the U.S. Uh, he'd occasionally like meet a family or make a new friend. He'd live with them. He worked odd jobs. But any time he began to form like a real relationship, he was like, I'm out. He moved on. And pretty often, he didn't tell them. Like He just would leave like these wounded like relationships behind. There's just this wake of relationships behind him. Um, he eventually realizes, man, it's even just being trying to be in the wild in America is too hard. Do you know where I need to go? I need to go to Alaska. So he goes up to Alaska and he finds like this bus and he's like, okay, I'm just going to live here. I'm going to live through um, the winter. I'm going to see if I can do it. He gets the early summer. He's hunting. He's taking care of himself. Um, and then the cruel the cruel like nature of Alaska just started beating on him. He started to miss people. And he was like, do you know what? I, I'm out. I, this, I can't do this. And he wrote in his journal, true happiness is shared, where he realizes like, man, I'm free, but I'm not really free. This isn't satisfying. So he turns around, he tries to go back, and he realizes that this river he crossed in early summer had become like a large raging river. And he's like, I'm trapped here. I'm trapped here until at least this river goes down. So he goes back to his bus <laughs> and he tries to, uh, to survive. And then one day he gets really sick. And um, biographers aren't really exactly sure. They think he probably mistook some kind of berry or root. Um, and so he begins to die. Like he, he starts withering up very quickly. And um, no one hears from him again. And a few months later than that, he's discovered by hunters and he's dead in this bus. Uh, depressing story. But I want to confess to you guys that I, I am like this guy um, on a weekly basis. I get busy and life is hard and I'm like, oh, if I could just escape to the wild, all of my problems would be gone. And I forget, I forget that rather than something to escape from, God has given me the gift of relationships that relationships are a gift from God. They're not something that I need to escape from. I realize every week when I'm like, God, please, can I just go away into the wild? That relationships are actually the only way to make it through life and through ministry. And then I forget that ministry itself is relational. Uh, listen, the Lord can bless a sermon and you guys may be changed, but I've seen that the Lord uses me far more when I'm in a relationship with somebody. I see the, the power of the word far more effective when like there's a relationship 
happening. Um, even this week, I, I was just busy and tired. I was feeling spiritual attack, uh, like a lot more than normal. And the Lord just reminded me, man, you really need relationships. I was reaching out to brothers for prayer. Um, there was moments where I was, I was in trying to do the reading plan and I was just sitting there. I was so tired and I was like, I cannot do this. And then uh, my phone goes off and uh, Shout out to technology, actually. And it was my brother, one of my like dear, dear brothers, who's like, hey, bro, I'm praying for you right now. And it was just the Lord. It was just a gracious time where I was ministered to through someone else. I even, um, I'll confess this, I hated my sermon. And I reached out to friends, like, help me with my sermon, right? Like, I need help. Uh, my wife's out of town right now, and I have a one-year-old son. And... Um, and I work like all night, Friday night and today. And, uh, but my, my parents are in town and they're like taking care. The Lord just keeps reminding me, man, you, you need people in your life. Uh, this morning, as we look to these 16 verses in Acts, you hear me, listen to this. There are in these 16 verses, 10 different personal names and 14 different locations representing a church with real people. And every once in a while, we come across passages like this, especially as a preacher, and you're like, what am I going to do with this list of Sopater from Pyrrhus and Berea and Aristarchus, Secundus, like the sermon's going to be lame. Um, and the Lord reminded me like, no, like these are people that Paul dearly loved. At the end of the, uh, the book of Romans, in the last chapter alone, there are 37 names in 27 verses. Like the Holy Spirit gave us in the word of God these people, these people's names to speak something, and to tell us something important about relationships. Uh, we're gonna look at four truths about relationships from this text. Um, now, before we get to the text, I want us to, uh, I wanna, this is kind of what you do at the end of the sermon, but I want us to be real for a minute. Every one of us has real relational drama. I know that. I know that. Um, and not just drama. I would say many of us, if not all of us, actually have some deep personal relational wounds and disappointment. Like, like you know, we come to church, we, we try to like get our church, you know, clothes on or maybe not. And we're like, we're trying to like get ourselves together to get to church. Uh, but most of us are covering up this like bleeding wound that we have from relationships. I've got them. I have, like, when I, I, when I think about them, it could get me close to tears, so I just try not to think about it. Um, I know that, that we have these deep relational wounds, and I'll even say this, even God has relational drama. Besides the Trinity, every one of God's relationships are broken. Did you know that? That's because of us, but that's his relationships. Um, and so I want to remind us of this is the most important Thing you will ever hear about relationships, you guys. We will not make any true relational headway apart from the healing love and relationship with God. Okay, hear me. The gospel is our only hope for relationships. If you're not right with God, you have no chance at being right with other people. Every one of us have strayed from our relationship with God, every one of us. We've chosen our own things. We've gone our own ways. The Bible refers to this as spiritual adultery. Like adultery, it uses that word for a reason. We have deeply offended God, and yet God still loves you. 
and sent his son for us. And Jesus was placed on the cross and took all the consequences of our sin upon his shoulders. And hear this, though we have forsaken God, Jesus was forsaken by God for us so that we could be made right with God and we could be called sons and daughters of God so that we could be forgiven of our sin and brought near to a healing relationship with God. And if you don't lay a hold of that and feast on that every day, your relationships are doomed. It's that bad. If you do not lay a hold of the love and forgiveness and acceptance of God on your behalf, you ha- your relationships have no chance. You Listen, you're going to let people down. People will let you down. And you will not have the resources to forgive them. But if you lay a hold of the fact that you have been radically loved by God, that you have a new father, that you have a spirit in you that gives you strength, that your sins and offenses have been forgiven, listen, you're going to have a deep well to pull from when people let you down. Like, like they're going to let you down, but you're going to be okay because you have this deep well, this relationship with the Lord. When others let you down, as they will, you will have a deep well of grace to give them because no person will ever offend you the way you've offended God. And yet God says, I still love you. I forgive you. And in fact, the Bible says, if you don't have that well of forgiveness for others, you don't know the, the, that well that God has given you. You haven't yet tasted the forgiveness and grace of God. And so, man, our relationships will have, they're doomed if we don't deeply lay a hold of the gospel. Now, with that as our foundation, we're going to look to see actually three truths. See, my notes are all over the place. Three truths um, from this text about relationships. The first truth is this. Relationships are essential for ministry. Now, before I show you this in the text, I want to do a quick reminder Remember how the Bible defines ministry? It's not the church staff does ministry. You come pay for church staff to do ministry. Ministry is done by the saints. The work of the ministry is done by you. As you serve the church and as you go into the world to be salt and light in your homes and relationships and neighborhoods and workplaces, you do the work of the ministry. And, and relationships are essential for the work of ministry you've been called to. Look at, look at verse four. It says this about Paul. He was accompanied by this relationship, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Look at verse six. We sailed from Philippi, where five days later it joined the others, where we stayed. This is Luke writing, who was in relationship with Paul. Paul never was a solo guy in ministry. He had relationships. And then verses 13 through 15, it says this, we went on ahead to the ship. We took him aboard. The next day, we set sail from there. Paul, who was maybe, besides Jesus, the most effective man for ministry, Everywhere he goes models this relational approach. Look at this verse. He says, he wrote this to the church in, first, uh, in Thessalonians. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Man, if we are not off the hook when we share the gospel, we have to share our lives as well. 
Jesus, we saw Jesus did this. He had deep relationships with 12 guys and uh, others such as Lazarus, such as his sisters, Martha and Mary. Jesus had relationships with people. And now listen, every time Jesus's church could have just blown up and got really popular, he fed the crowd, 5,000 people, they're stoked. Uh, He would then turn and like confuse and offend all of them. And then it was just 12 guys left. And Jesus was like, yeah, this is what it's about. These crowds just want bread from me. They just want me to make their life better. They don't really want a relationship with me. The true church was the few Jesus had relationships with. When Jesus went to heaven, there was 120 left. Do you know how many thousands of people supernaturally were blessed by Jesus? And yet there was a few that had actual relationships with Jesus. And not only did Jesus model this, he taught us this. Look at what he says uh, in John 13 verse 35. By this, Tyler said this earlier, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Not if you have right theology, not if you're really effective on mission. If you love one another. Church, we are called to love, have relationships with one another. 1 John 3, 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. It'd be nice to stop there, but there's more. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. There is no such thing as a relationship with Jesus without a relationship to his church. Doesn't exist. Um, Another thing we need to hear, if we're all about ministry, 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 um, listen, we cannot neglect our relationships in our attempt to serve Jesus. This is such a temptation. Man, I gotta serve Jesus. Uh, Look what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. This This is tough stuff. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give others my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Jesus never designed serving him to lead to unhealthy, loveless relationships. It's just not what he wants for us. And if in all of our efforts to serve Jesus and his church and in our family, if there's a trail of broken relationships behind us, um, like we have more work to do. We have more work. To, the, the point is not the ministry. It's relationships. Uh, I'll even say this. Church, we, we have the word of God and we live in a crazy world that believes and does crazy things. But if we only say abortion is wrong and this is wrong and we don't have love, culture is like, yeah, there's the symbols again. We hear the symbols. We know about the symbols. Just the church just making noise. No, we, we need to like know and love the people we're speaking to. Grace and truth, speaking the truth in love. We, we are not off the hook when we're right. We have to be full of love. Another thing, our closest relationships are actually the ones that matter most. I know I'm so tempted to like go do ministry, 
uh, and like, see you later, friends and family. I got to go do ministry. Did you know our closest relationships are a barometer about how we're actually doing in terms of relationships? Part of the qualification of a pastor is to have healthy home life. Like that's if like, he's, the, Paul's like, if you can do that, you're qualified to be a pastor. Like if you can like manage your house, like it's, it's, that's like the hardest thing there is. And hear this, our closest relationships, hear this, are our first line of ministry. Why would we like neglect the relationships God has given us to go to ministry? Jesus never wants ministry to sacrifice our closest relationships. Part of that means he never wants us to do, this is really important, to do ministry at a pace that sacrifices our closest relationships. It's just not how he designed it. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to be so busy serving him that we can't love those near to us. In, in our Bible reading today, Moses, I love this, uh, Moses is doing ministry, man. He's like praying in battles and there's millions of people and he's just serving them. Um, and then his father-in-law comes with his wife and kids that says that Moses sent away because Moses had to do ministry. And his father-in-law brings back his family looks at what Moses is doing, and he's like, you're going to wear yourself out, let alone the fact that, like, your wife and kids are living with me. Like, what are you, what are you doing? He's like, this is not healthy. You need to point others to help serve you, and here's your family back. See you later. Like, God did not ask Moses to serve him and neglect his wife and his kids. We also see this, you remember Jacob when he was, uh, he, he got it was kind of weird, but he got multiple wives and kids and he has like this whole crew and he's like, okay, I got to go back home. So he goes back home and he meets his brother and it's awesome. And his brother's like, come on, come on, let's go. And Jacob says, no, I need to go. He's like, there's, there's nursing mothers, there's children and there's flocks who are pregnant. I need to go at the pace of them. And if I go faster, like they're going to die. Like there's, there's real insight there. We need to go. Our lives need to be at the pace of children of nursing mothers, if even as we as a church are moving, I, I, listen, I know we have dreams for revival in Carpinteria, but if we move so fast that moms with kids in tow can't come, like we're doing something wrong. Like we need to move at a space and a pace that's considering the relationships of children and wives. Like we need to care about one another. Kids slow things down in a really good way, as they should, because like they're the point, right? Like relationships, uh, relationships are essential for ministry. We see this everywhere Paul goes. The second thing we see in this text is that relationships are essential for encouragement. We, uh, man, life is tough and ministry is tough and following Jesus is tough and we need others. We will not make it without relationships. Look at verses one and two. It says, when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled throughout that area speaking many words of encouragement. And then look at verse 12, which we'll get into a little more. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. And not, Paul wasn't just an encourager. He needed encouragement. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. When we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Man, it could just say God comforted us. But God used a relationship in Paul's life 
to encourage Paul when like it was rough. He had no rest. He was harassed. There were conflicts and fears. Like that's life, right? That's life. But God sends people in our life. Look what it says in Romans chapter 15. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Man, when was the last time you just like enjoyed the company of a brother and sister in Christ? And then he says a few verses later, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. Are some of you guys feeling tired? Maybe you need relationships to refresh you. Their company simply to refresh you. Paul knew that he needed company, relationships to make it. We were never designed to walk with Jesus without the encouragement of one another. Man, it's really tough following Jesus and saying no to the world and to sin day after day after day. It's it meant that there's warfare metaphors in the Bible, like following Jesus, this life is war. Like, would we send people off to war by themselves, solo? Good luck, go in there, go, you know, figure it out. Like, no, we don't do that. Like, we know that we need one another. Look at the wisdom of Solomon in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter four. This is so good. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And we need one another. You know what else we need um, in the church? We need relationships to handle trauma and grief that happens in the church. Like, that's part of the design of God. We get this strange, like, kind of funny story of Paul just preaching the long, I mean, maybe this was regular, but he just preached all late into the night, all through the night. Um, And like, but put yourself in this church gathering for a second. A kid dies at church. Like, that happened. Like, that literally happened at church in one of their gatherings. And Paul runs down there and he prays for him and he is healed. And we do that church together. We pray for healing. And sometimes Jesus says, yes, but, but hear me. Every church that has ever existed has had death. Every church. And it is by design that we deal with trauma and grief together. That, that is, that we do not, and here's the other thing. This story shows us we don't mourn the way the world mourns. We have the encouragement of one another and Eutychus is a picture of the resurrection. Like death is not the end. Like we can become greatly comforted when we know death is not the end that we face in our church. We, we, have, we face death as a church. We have and we will. But, but we need one another to deal with grief and trauma in the church. And then the third thing we see from this text, and this is, this is where the rub hits the road, is that relationships are essential for our worship. Uh, first of all, we see it in verse seven. It says this, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Uh, Tyler just talked about that, about home groups. Part of this church's gathering was like, you couldn't just sneak in, enjoy, and sneak out. Like they came together to break bread. They like had to l- look across the table from one another 
and like eat. Um, maybe this is just me, but have you ever been like at a wedding and you're like across the table from someone that you don't know or don't like and you're like, I'm stuck here for at least an hour? Um, like that's profound. That's part of the design of eating with one another. That is part of what it is to worship. Uh, this togetherness, not just singing, not just hearing the Bible taught, but being and living together. Um, we also see from this that in our times of worship, relationships take priority over entertainment or convenience. Uh, let's bring up Paul's sermon again. These people were like, gosh, Paul, when are you going to be done? But they didn't leave. The kid's like, I'm just going to fall asleep then, I guess. I don't, this is, this is so inconvenient. And I wouldn't say this is an argument to have boring, long, 10-hour sermons, but it certainly shows you that there will be times when your preferences are severely challenged as you are in relationship with those who are in relationship with Jesus. And our commitment to one another has to be more important than the entertainment or convenience value of our gatherings. Our commitment to one another. Uh, there's a comedian, a Christian comedian, who just released a little video about virtual reality church. Um, and he says this. I'm just going to quote part of it. Tired of having to wake up, get dressed, and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing virtual reality church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, and connection cards. <laughs> Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. <laughs> Finally, no more having to endure the songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you'd like and we'll select a pastor for you. <laughs> We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? It's, it's really good and it's really stinging, right? Like those are our thoughts, we have had words come out of our mouths that are similar to that. Can you believe what they were wearing? Can you believe his hair? Can you believe this? Can you believe they don't do enough of, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but but the, the New Testament shows us again and again that to worship Jesus is not an individual thing. We, we do that every day throughout the week when we get up and we're with Jesus. But Sundays are a time when we gather together as what the Bible calls the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you are the body of Christ. Each of you is a part of it. This is just a fact. Like this isn't a choice we make. Um, if you are a Christian, you're attached to the rest of us. Just, just is what it is. You don't have the option to say, oh, you know, I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. You are the church. Like there's, you, there's no like, that doesn't even logically make sense. Uh, listen, this is why we, we don't have the option to say, I love the church. I just don't really go that often. Or I go when I have no other priorities. 
Uh, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews said this. We, we know this verse. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is also why we don't have the option to say, you know, I love the church. I just don't serve the church. Uh, that's just not a thing. Um, if you're a part of a body, and you're not functioning, like, not only are you not serving, like, you're hurting the body, right? Like, if my foot's like, yeah, I just am not gonna work today, like, it affects the whole body. This is why Peter said in 1 Peter 4, each of you, each of you, each of you, like, literally you, when you hear me say you, I mean you, God means you, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Man, God has given you gifts, and he's given you grace. And when we don't serve, we're unfaithful stewards. And, and as with the body, every one of us matters, Every one of us matters. Every part of the body matters. And listen, church, um, I'm going to say this in love. Our church is hurting because some of you aren't being who God made you to be in this body. Like, that's a thing. Like, it's actually hurting um, because you're not using the grace and gifts God has given you. Um, I can guarantee you that when they got together to bring food, Paul didn't bring the food. Uh, let me just say this. If you show up at a home group and you're like, oh, well, we don't do dinner, like maybe you make the dinner. Just saying. Maybe when we notice the lack of something in the church, it's because we've been gifted and graced by God to notice something that's needed in the church. Right? I mean, come on, like let's make dinner. Let's make food. Let's serve. How can we help one another? Not, and listen, Jesus loves you and died for you. And, and if you've claimed his grace, you're going to heaven. But just don't miss out on what God's called you to do here. Being in relationship with one another is part of our worship. It's part of our worship. This isn't just, I got to check it off. It's part of our worship to Jesus. Um, and then I want us to quickly think about the drama that we face in church. Um, the first thing we need to remember when we have drama with someone in the church is that that person is part of the bride of Christ. Uh, some of the ways we have spoken to one another or about other churches, listen, would you talk about Jesus's wife that way? Think about that. Would you talk about Jesus's wife that way? And especially if the presence, if, if Jesus walked up, would you be like, Jesus, your wife killing me? Like, would you do that? Let me remind you, he's here. And where two or more are gathered, he's there. Like, let's not speak ill of Jesus's wife together. Let's just not do that. Uh, secondly, when it comes to how important uh, it is to remember the bride of Christ in our drama is that if we don't get right with one another, Jesus doesn't want our worship. He, he says, I don't want that worship. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus says this. This is Jesus. 
I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Just that alone, I just, it's too much. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which I'm not sure what that means, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, I think it means something like that, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus is connecting hell with how we think about one another and speak about one another. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come and offer your gift. I'm just going to say this because it seems to be what Jesus is saying. You cannot rightly worship God and not pursue peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's just what he says. Um, some of us need to hear 1 John 4.20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. That's just heavy. Um, The only way for us to pursue reconciliation is to remember the cross when God pursued us, when we were deeply offensive to him at our worst, and said, I love you. I'll I'll take the hit. I'll take the debt. I'll take it. You can go free. I forgive you. That is our source and our fuel for the drama that we will inevitably face here as a church. Um, when we, remember the, when we remember the cross, this verse makes sense. When Jesus said in Matthew 7, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? It's not that there's not something wrong over there, but when we are so hot and bothered by it, it's a plank. And Jesus is like, you should deal with that first and then maybe go address what's going on over there. And then just just a cheap pastor shot, Matthew 6, 15. If you do not forgive others your sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Church, we just do not have the option to not forgive one another. We just don't have that option. And when we remember what God has done for us, not only is it like a logical connection, like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I guess I can forgive. Like something supernatural happens. Something supernatural happens when you cling to Jesus, like he gives you a new heart. He fills you with his spirit. That's just gonna bug you till you go pursue reconciliation. And so um, this is nothing new today, church. This isn't like, you've never heard this stuff before. Um, But I'm gonna ask you to do something new maybe today. I'm gonna ask you to obey the Bible. And um, I don't, I'm not asking for agreement or amens, but obedience. Um, before we do second set, we're going to like actually, I'm gonna, we're going to make space for you to obey Jesus. Um, we're going to make space for you to not take communion until you literally try to obey Jesus. What does that mean? I, maybe it means go outside and call someone, leave a voicemail or a text or write them a letter. Um, maybe you'll have a phone call. Maybe you'll have a, the hardest phone call you've had in years. Instead of second set, that's maybe the most beautiful act of worship you will ever have. 
That's obedience to Jesus. Um, We're going to make space for you to consider who am I bitter at? Where do I have unforgiveness in my heart? Um, If that's you, listen, repent of that. Repent of that. Forgive them. In, in, just in, forgive them from your heart and then come take communion. Um, the other thing I'll say is what, what, ne- what relationships have I neglected because I'm trying to serve Jesus? Um, what relationships, ask the Lord, are actually my first ministry? I'll say for most of us, it's our spouses. And Jesus would just rather us be reconciled with our spouse than go do something else for him. Maybe it's a conversation with a spouse. Um, And then the last thing I will say is, how can I further, this is all of us, how can I further commit to relationships as I follow Jesus? Maybe that's signing up for a home group. Uh, Maybe that's joining a women's or men's group or coming to abide. Maybe that's inviting people into your home. Maybe that's making meals for something. Maybe that's how can I contribute or serve at this church. And so I'm gonna invite the band up. And um, they're just going to play some music, and that we're just going to make some space to obey Jesus um, before, before we start to sing. And again, I'm just going to say this. Like, Jesus literally was like, yeah, go deal with that before you come sing to me. Um, so I'm just going to ask the Spirit that he would move in such a way that our, our church is healed and moved to be a relational church. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us enough to speak hard truths to us that we would be right with you and with one another. Lord, we confess that uh, we have some, some hard relationships. We have some deep disappointments, some deep uh, maybe bitterness, some wounds, some hurt. Jesus, thank you that you, first and foremost, are yeah, that balm for our heart. You soften us up. You minister to us. And um, your love and your spirit give us enough that we could obey you in this area. Um, none of us are off the hook, Jesus. None of us, none of us have been so wounded that we don't, we don't get to obey you. So please, spirit, minister to us. And minister through us. Would reconciliation happen? Would... Man, what our, I believe our worship will be so much more pleasing and spirit-filled when we begin to address some of this bitterness and unforgiveness and pursue reconciliation. We want to be a church that obeys you, Jesus. All of us, every one of us. So come, Holy Spirit. Build your church, Jesus. The gates of hell won't prevail. We, we know there are some gates, some strongholds of hell where we will not forgive. We say, Jesus, knock those things down today. Knock them down. Would Satan be defeated in in lives in this room today?